is America helping China's military get stronger? One report says the answer lies in U.S. exports. Plus, a lawmaker now slamming a government agency for not doing enough to cap the flow. A financial expert says China's banking system is in freefall. Its real estate crisis poised to wipe out $4 trillion. Military talks between the U.S. and China still on pause, a month after Biden reached an agreement with China's Xi. What's causing the delay? And a desperate plea from a son to Britain's foreign secretary helped free his father, a Hong Kong media mogul, from a Chinese prison. I know that with international pressure, um, that, 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 that you know, one day I'll see my father again. Welcome to China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. A new report shining light on a big concern, the flow of U.S. technology to China and how it could be helping Beijing advance its military. House Foreign Affairs Committee Chairman Michael McCall released the report, accusing a key U.S. government agency of not doing enough to stop the flow. The agency is the Commerce Department's Bureau of Industry and Security, or BIS. It's key to U.S.-China competition because it controls whether or not China can get its hands on U.S. technology through export restrictions. American companies looking to sell technology to blacklisted Chinese companies must apply for a license from the Bureau. McCall argues that the agency approves most of those requests. From January to March 2022, the BIS denied only 8% of license applications for blacklisted Chinese companies. The report says the flow of U.S. tech to China is, quote, giving our adversary militarily useful technologies. Examples include Chinese tech giant Huawei and SMIC, one of China's largest semiconductor makers. Both are tied to the Chinese military and are sanctioned by Washington. The report says from late 2020 to early 2021, BIS approved $60 billion worth of licenses for Huawei. The agency also approved $40 billion worth of license for SMIC. Besides approving license requests, McCall's report also found the U.S. has struggled to track what the technology was used for after it was exported. Between 2016 and 2021, the U.S. had two export control officers in China. They likely verified less than 0.01 percent of all licenses. Commerce Secretary Gina Raimondo has been asking for a larger budget for the BIS. In an interview with Foreign Policy, she said the agency's budget is similar to what it was a decade ago, yet it has to process twice as many licensing requests now. NTD reached out to the Commerce Department for comment but did not hear back before airtime. Are U.S. sanctions falling short? Reports say mysterious ghost fleets are helping countries like Iran and Russia dodge the rules and that these elusive ships are used to sell oil around the world. But who else is reaping the benefits? NTD's Emma Shi has more. Iran uses a ghost fleet of more than 300 foreign-owned and foreign-flagged oil tankers to ship hundreds of millions of barrels of Iranian oil, skirting U.S. energy sanctions. At a House hearing Tuesday, experts told lawmakers that sanctions enforcement on Iran and Russia have weakened under the Biden administration. This permits these nations to use ghost fleets to sell energy worldwide. Ghost fleets are often moribund, unsafe, non-environmental. They're accidents waiting to happen. Uh, and they're often not insured. International trade expert Adam Smith says these ghost fleets are not on the radar. They switch off their location transponders, transfer goods from ship to ship, change their country of registration, 
and could have complex ownership structures, making it difficult to know who the owner is. They're not actually ghosts. Um, and so there's still a way for them to be attached to the non-ghost world, be it insurance, be it infrastructure or otherwise. And again, it's focusing on the intermediaries that are not ghosts, right? They're actually in the real economy. A key player that's affected by weak sanctions enforcement. China. 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 China is a very close partner to Iran and Russia. It's the largest purchaser of Iranian oil which helps the terrorism-funding state evade sanctions the most. So the country that's benefiting most from this lax sanctions enforcement is China. China's able to uh, purchase cheap oil, not just from Iran, but also from Venezuela and Russia as well. And um, its economy benefits from that, while other countries have higher oil prices. Iran expert Claire Youngman believes the U.S. has done nothing to stop oil sales into China. She says we should sanction the Chinese banks that make this possible. Emma Shee, NTD News. A veteran investor says China's banking sector is in free fall, and the downward spiral could wipe out $4 trillion or more from the Chinese economy. Kyle Bass is chief information officer at the Heyman Capital Hedge Fund. He says China's once booming real estate sector is collapsing. Major developers like Evergrande and Country Garden are buried under debt. While a former Beijing official said China now has enough empty homes to house 3 billion people. Bass also touched on the country's local property market. It's financially backed by local governments under China's communist regime. That $13 trillion market is also grappling with heavy debt and defaults. Bass says, quote, we don't even know where the bottom to that market is. For comparison, U.S. banks lost about $700 billion during the Great Financial Crisis in 2008. Defense ministers for Washington and Beijing have yet to talk. That's nearly a month after the head of the Chinese regime agreed with President Biden that the U.S. and China should restore military talks. We spoke to the host of China Insider, David Zhang, to find out what's behind the delay. President Biden describes military-to-military communication with China as critically important. It's expected to take the form of a hotline between the country's defense departments. So what's behind the halt? The CCP has always used these communication channels as a bargaining chip, and they won't follow through unless there's value to be gained. And we don't even have a new defense minister to be revealed in the Chinese regime. So this is uh, clearly a, a process of tremendous instability inside the party right now. China doesn't have a defense minister now. The highest position in Beijing's military has been empty for nearly two months. Former Defense Minister Li Shangfu was fired after he disappeared from public view with no official explanation. Washington seems more eager to relaunch talks than Beijing. An NBC Saturday article reported that according to three senior officials, U.S. defense officials have repeatedly tried to reach out to the Chinese side, but with no answer. What makes communication so urgent? The CCP can act aggressively, and we've seen this in the recent uh, events, uh, the tension with the Philippines in the South China Sea. It allows them to be aggressive, unchecked uh, by the United States rule of law and these communications boundaries. And if China can't keep its promises? I think Biden can boost his credibility on China if he it makes it clear that it is the CCP who's not following through with the communications. Beijing cut off military communication with Washington when former House Speaker Nancy Pelosi visited Taiwan last year. That's to protest Washington's support of Taiwan. The Chinese Communist Party claims the island as its territory, although it's never ruled it. 
As of now, the American and Chinese militaries haven't communicated for 17 months. Chinese citizens are flocking to buy up hard assets like gold. Gold futures rose to record highs last week. The price of gold jewelry in China has also skyrocketed, reaching up to over $2,400 per ounce, marking a historic high. China's struggling economy is being hit hard with deepening deflation. Last month, consumer prices saw their steepest drop since the pandemic. That's according to data from the National Bureau of Statistics, meaning Chinese consumers have reduced their spending amid economic uncertainty. The price plunge sparked calls for Beijing to act and boost demand. Chinese officials are expected to meet this month to talk about the economy and publish new plans for economic priorities. Chinese fast fashion brand Xi'an has managed to outpace Zara and H&M. Despite allegations over plagiarism and forced labor, the company's low prices continue to draw shoppers en masse. But how does Xi'an's production cycle work? A July lawsuit in California revealed Xi'an's use of AI and a special algorithm used to scrape the internet for design ideas. And another key part of the strategy, tapping a network of largely China-based suppliers. That's in light of accusations Xi'an uses Uyghur forced labor in the Xinjiang region to make its cheap apparel. Recent import records show virtually all of Xi'an's products imported to the U.S. came from China. A desperate plea for help from the U.K. On Tuesday, the son of imprisoned Hong Kong pro-democracy activist Jimmy Lai met with Britain's foreign secretary, urging the diplomat to help secure his father's release. The 76-year-old British citizen has been in detention since 2020, and he's facing a litany of charges, which could land him a lifetime prison sentence if he's convicted. NTD's Sam Wong has more. Known for his fierce criticism of Beijing, Jimmy Lai was once the richest and most prominent activist in Hong Kong's pro-democracy movement. But after spending years in prison, Lai's son Sebastian is leading an international campaign to save him. He's a man who, uh, um, as a child, as a 12-year-old, escaped, um, escaped from China to Hong Kong and, and fell in love with the freedoms of Hong Kong. He built a business empire, uh, uh, um, you know, built a lovely, happy family, um, but he decided to sacrifice all these things that he had. As the Chinese Communist Party began to tighten its grip on the city, Lai's tabloid Apple Daily became the leading source of support for Hong Kongers who were seeking freedom and democracy. But the once popular outlet was shuttered with force in 2020, after authorities raided its headquarters and arrested several top executives, including Lai himself. By putting my father on trial uh, um, for these things that are um, that used to be very much legal, you know, j- journalism, pro-democracy protests, uh, uh, freedom of speech, um, they are essentially putting their own freedoms on trial. Lies facing charges under the draconian national security law Beijing imposed on the city. It's largely seen as a way to subdue the CCP's opponents outside its jurisdiction. The measure led to the arrest of more than 200 people including several Hong Kong lawmakers and many prominent pro-democracy activists. Sebastian told AP News that his father likely won't get a fair trial, but he's hopeful that Britain will work to secure his release. There's three government-appointed judges, and uh, there's no jury. Um, the, the security minister boasted of a 100% conviction rate. Um, so so the, the, this is not going to be a fair trial. But 
you know, I know that with international pressure, um, that, 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 that you know, one day I'll see my father again. In response to Sebastian's meeting with a diplomat, China accused the UK of meddling in its judicial procedure. That's despite Lai himself being a British citizen. Jimmy Lai is slated to stand a long-delayed trial next week. Sam Wang, NTD News. New York-based performing arts company Shenyun facing major hurdles in a U.S. allied nation. Investigations reveal the Chinese Communist Party's global influence efforts are behind a sabotage campaign. And Washington is taking note. Here's more. An influence campaign targeting an American dance troupe. Major theaters in South Korea are refusing to host Shenyun, a New York-based performing arts company. While in Korea, we found that the Chinese embassy in Seoul has been pressuring venues and government officials alike to turn down this show. Now, this decades-long interference by the CCP is getting the attention of lawmakers in Washington. Knowing or suspecting that it's linked to the Chinese Communist Party and, and officially through their embassy is not surprising, but it remains reprehensible, which again goes to the reason why we should all be working together to oppose the Chinese Communist Party at every single level. The Chinese Communist Party uh, is literally afraid of free expression. Uh, the thing they fear the most is their own people's freedom. Touring hundreds of cities worldwide, Shen Yuan's mission is to offer a glimpse of China before communism. Presenting the American ideals of freedom of speech and freedom of belief for the world to see. I would hope uh, it would be a wake-up call to South Korea that you know, your economic ties are not as important as your freedom and democracy. I, I think they should take a, a strong look at, at uh, the attempt to um, basically can cancel the culture of China prior to Chairman Mao and communism. The problem is the world does need to know about what China was before the Communist Party took over, and you always choose freedom, you always choose openness. So I, I hope they'll, they'll resist and say, no, we have a right to, to allow those performances to go on, and they should go on. The Chinese Communist Party has been mobilizing its embassies worldwide in an attempt to sabotage this classical Chinese dance show. Despite the malign efforts of the CCP, Shen Yun continues to perform around the world. Coming up, as U.S.-China tensions heat up, Capitol Hill is abuzz with a pressing question. How can America counter Beijing's rising aggression? This week, a congressional report suggests a bold move, stripping China of the low-tariff status the U.S. granted it two decades ago. With almost 150 other recommendations on the table, which move will Washington take to keep its edge? We sat down with Riley Walters, a senior fellow at the Hudson Institute, for details. More on that after the break here on China in Focus. Welcome back to China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. In Capitol Hill, rising threats from China are in the spotlight. How will American policymakers best counter the risks? through new tariffs or strategic cuts in capital and technology flow. A congressional report offers 150 recommendations at Washington's disposal. To discuss them, we speak to Riley Walters, senior fellow at the Hudson Institute. Riley Walters, thank you so much for joining us. Great to have you back on the show. Thanks for having me. 
A bipartisan group of lawmakers with the House Select Committee on the CCP are calling for severing the low tariffs that are placed on China. How likely is this to happen and what are they trying to achieve here? It would be essentially a doubling down of the trade war that we've seen between the United States and China during the Trump administration, uh, not just in the rhetoric, but the, the amount of tariffs that would be applied to uh, the import of goods from China, which uh, this would mean uh, it would have a much more significant impact. The tariff or tax rate would be essentially uh, much higher. And so there would definitely be, I think, much more debate within Congress about what does this actually mean for the United States economy? What does it mean for the average day consumer? You know, how how important is it that, that, we, that we have a 40% tariff rate on, you know, toys and, and, and bicycles and things like that when uh, I would believe, you know, the trade war during the Trump administration focused much more on, on higher technologies. This, on the other hand, would be blanket. And so, uh, it would require, I think, much more debate. Mm. And now among those recommendations, they also called on requiring American companies that are publicly listed to disclose their ties to China. Would companies agree to this? What would it take? There's definitely a lot of problems when we start getting to the proprietary information of private companies. Those in Washington who want to uh, sort of rein in the, the the ability of private companies to do whatever they want, and of course, the opposite for a private company is they want to be able to do whatever they can in order to make a profit. In terms of the flow of money between the two countries, recently we saw the biggest CEOs in America paying up to $40,000 a head to dine at the same table with Chinese regime leader Xi Jinping. This was on the sidelines of the APEC summit in San Francisco. Is corporate America still betting on the China market despite all the economic woes they're experiencing? <laughs> So uh, my opinion on the CEOs, um, it's sort of like at the end of Titanic, where Jack is trying to get a place on the, the door so that he doesn't drown in the Arctic waters. Uh, I think this is what the CEOs are trying to do. They're trying to buy their way onto the door in order to survive, even, even though the Titanic is, is sinking and has sunk at this point. You know, We see actually a lot of statistics show that uh, new foreign investment into China has just completely dropped, especially uh, US investment. So, a lot of American companies aren't betting necessarily on the future of the Chinese economy. But I think for those CEOs, they still do have a lot of capital within China. And so at this point, I think they're just trying to save what's still available to them. And in terms of this push for national security concerns versus, say, maybe the CEOs focus on the bottom line, where do you see that dynamic going? I think there's definitely room uh, to take more action in the national security space. You know, I appreciate what the Commerce Department has been doing in their export controls. I think we could be doing a lot more. Uh, I think we could definitely be uh, scrutinizing more uh, foreign investment into China and, of course, uh, asking our friends and allies to be doing the same as well. Because at the end of the day, if it's just the United States who is acting alone in this, uh, really, it, it, it's, a, it's a, you know, a, a low rate of return. Uh, wherever the United States pulls out, for example, uh, with our trade with China, or if we're, we're asking our companies to pull out of China uh, without asking also our, our, our friends and allies to kind of convince their companies to do the same, they're just simply going to backfill and take those opportunities away from American companies and actually make it harder for American companies to maintain their resilience internationally. Riley Walters, thank you so much for your time. Thank you.
That's all for today's China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. If you have any feedback on the show or have something you'd like to see us cover, send us an email at chinainfocusntd.com. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for watching. See you tomorrow.